Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here today. In addition to all of you guys who are here in person, we have a ton of people worshiping with us online right now. So if you would put your hands together, welcome in our online family here today. So glad to have them. Welcome. And you will not want to miss next Sunday, because even though it is Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have a special day here at First Church. We have a lot of cool stuff going on, and we're calling it Ice Cream Sunday. It's a play on words. See what we did there? Ice Cream Sunday. We are going to have free Bluebell ice cream for everyone who comes to church next Sunday. Even if you're watching online, we, are, we have something for you too, so you want to make sure you join online next week. But invite your friends, invite your family members for Ice Cream Sunday. We're going to have a whole different a whole lot of variety of bluebell ice cream, but it's going to be fun. And nothing says summer like ice cream, right? So as we kick off unofficially summer this Memorial Day weekend, make sure you're here at church on Sunday. All right. Well, I'm excited to continue in our series, Christian-ish. And I'm not sure if you've heard the name before, Lou Bolin. I heard about him the other day, and I was fascinated by him. He's an artist who lives in Beijing, but he travels all over the world. And what he does is he paints himself into the environments that he's around. And here's some examples of him. This is Lou Bolin right there. And he has painted himself to look like what's behind him. And you can see other examples on the screen here. He wants to fade in. He wants to fit in, blend in with the environment around him. And I thought this was really cool because he's taken camouflage to a whole new level, if you know what I'm saying. And besides the fact that this is really cool and it takes a lot of time and resources and energy and effort to accomplish this, what I also thought was this would be really cool to prank somebody. You know what I'm saying? And I've already thought about it. Could I paint myself to look like the bookshelf in Matt Thomas's office, you know, our executive minister? Because, you know, he talked about Kentucky last week, so I could really get him. I could scare him good. He probably beat me up, but it'd be worth it, you know, just to scare him. But that would be really awesome to be able to do that in order to prank somebody. Now, there are some fun and good purposes for camouflage, whether it's art or whether you're going hunting or whatever, whatever reason. I mean, Tim was rocking the camel pants this morning right on stage. So whatever the reason is, there are some good reasons, but there are some not so good reasons. And the thing is, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we're tempted sometimes to camouflage our faith, and there's never a good reason for that. So let me ask you, are you ever tempted to camouflage your faith when living out your faith is uncomfortable? Are you ever tempted to camouflage and blend in with the environment around you whenever there's pressure to not live out your faith? Well, we're looking at some Christians who lived about 30 years after the time of Jesus, after Jesus ascended into heaven, who were tempted to do just that. They were living in a day and age when this guy named Nero was the emperor of Rome. And Nero didn't like the Christian movement because he couldn't control it. It was spreading all over the world, and that made Nero really, really nervous. And so he falsely accused Christians of doing things that they hadn't done. And then he orders for persecution to take place. So Christians living during his reign were arrested and thrown in prison and tortured, even killed. And so those Christians living in Rome who were dealing with this persecution, they decided to scatter and they decided to flee to different areas of the empire where the persecution hadn't become so strong just yet. And many Christians went to live in the region, the area of Asia Minor. And just imagine this. They're living in a new location, a new place where no one knows them, no one knows their background, no one knows their religious faith. And it would be real easy in that type of situation to just camouflage your faith, 
to live what we're calling in this series a Christian-ish life. A life where, yeah, on Sunday mornings when you meet together with the church, you're all about Jesus. And when you meet with your small group or you're around your Christian buddies and friends, yeah, Jesus is king. But when you're not in your Christian circle, when you step outside of it, well, you just blend in with the environment. You camouflage your faith. See, the suffix-ish literally means kind of, sort of, or somewhat like. So Christian-ish is living for Jesus sometimes, but not all the time. You're kind of one of his followers, but not really. We're defining it like this. Christian-ish is following Jesus when it's convenient rather than following Jesus out of conviction. And let me just ask you personally, have you ever been tempted to live a Christian-ish life? I'll be honest and transparent with you. I've been tempted to do that at times. Because sometimes it just seems easier to blend in with your environment than to stand out. See, it's easy to profess our faith when we're here. But what about when we're at work and no one else is living for Jesus? What about when we're in school or on a ball field and that ref makes a bad call? It's easy just to camouflage our faith and live for us rather than live for him. What about when your neighbor annoys you or your family gets on your nerves? It's easy just to camouflage our faith and live for ourselves rather for him. It seems easier. But what the Bible repeatedly teaches us is that even though it seems easier, really that's an empty way of life because when we settle for a Christianish life, we rob ourselves of the true identity and purpose that God has for our lives. And that's why when Peter, who was one of the early church leaders, who was also a close friend of Jesus's, that's why when Peter hears that these Christians who have moved to Asia Minor are living a Christianish kind of life, he decides to address that. He writes them a letter to remind them of who they are, of who God is calling them to be, of why they're here, their purpose in this life. And we're going to see throughout this letter, as we already have, that Peter is reminding them that we're not here to blend in with the culture around us. We're here to transform the culture around us. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 16, if you suffer as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. In other words, if you face some pressure and you have to deal with some issues and people attack you because you claim to be a follower of Jesus, don't deny Jesus, don't be ashamed of him, don't blend in with the culture around you, but instead continue to praise God because you are living for something bigger than just what you see around you. And when you continue to live out your faith, God will continue to use you to literally transform and change the culture around you to redeem the time. And Peter isn't writing those words as one who had never experienced persecution. I mean, Peter, at this point when he writes this letter, he'd been arrested numerous times, thrown in prison numerous times, tortured and flogged numerous times. And just a few years after he writes this, he's going to be crucified himself because of his faith in Jesus, and he's not going to deny Jesus to get out of it. He will go through with the crucifixion. Peter, at one point in his life, he did live a Christianish life. When he was still following Jesus physically on the earth before Jesus ascended into heaven, actually before Jesus was crucified. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. 
because that seemed easier to just blend in with the culture around him. And the third time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus was in the courtyard of the high priest and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter. Peter and Jesus, they look at one another and Peter knows he's been hiding, camouflaging his faith. But after Jesus, after Jesus came back from the grave, Peter never camouflaged his faith again. Then he went out and told everybody about Jesus because the resurrection of Jesus changed his life. And so now he's telling these Christians, don't camouflage your faith because Jesus is what life is all about. Don't miss him. Peter knows we're not here just to play it safe. We're here to live by faith. We're not here to sit on our hands. We're not here just to waste time. We're here to live by faith and change the world while we are here. I've mentioned in previous sermons that I'm coaching my son Alex's soccer team right now. And we were in a tournament last weekend. So we played on Saturday several games. Then we played also uh, on Sunday afternoon. So my family came to church that morning. And then we uh, went to the soccer fields after that. And we played in the semifinals of the tournament. We won there. And then we went on. We played in the championship game, the final game. And our team, the Owasso Wildcats, ended up winning the tournament that we were in. We went home with the gold. Here's a picture of our team. And so I'm holding the gold trophy. We've got our gold medals on. The kids are so excited. And it was an intense uh, championship game. It really was. I know these are like seven and eight-year-olds, but it was crazy, and we won one to nothing, and our fans, our parents went nuts, our kids went nuts. It was just an awesome moment, an awesome memory, but what was interesting is before we played the championship game, I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to my players, and we had just won in the semifinals, so we were going to the championship, and we were guaranteed a medal. We were either going to get second place or we were going to win first. So we were going to get either a gold medal or silver medal. And one of my kids, one of my players spoke up and he goes, well, you know, uh, no matter what happens, at least we get a medal. And he said, I'll be happy with a silver medal. And I just want to be like, no, that is not the attitude I want you to have right now. You know, if we play our best and we end up losing and you get the silver, fine, I can take that. But don't give up before we even play the game. You know, don't settle for silver before we even play the game. And so I look and I said, guys, I believe you can win this game. Let's get out there and let's go for gold. And hopefully I motivated him and we ended up winning. But I wonder if sometimes that's not our attitude when it comes to following Jesus. We get saved, we're baptized, and we know we're going to heaven one day. And so we just kind of sit on our hands and we're like, hey, I got my salvation. I got my reward. I'm good. And God's like, no, I've got so much in store for you. Don't give up before you even try. Don't give up before you even attempt to live by faith. I've got so much more in store for you. I just didn't want to save you for the sake of you being saved, though I definitely want you, but I want you to go out and be my instrument to bring other people to me. I want you to be a difference maker in this world. I want to use you in ways like you never thought possible. I've got so much more in store for your life. Don't settle for a lesser life. And I know you can live. And that's what these early Christians in Peter's day were doing. By living Christianish lives, they were settling for a life that was far less than what God wanted them to live. And so Peter was reminding them what I said before. We're not here to blend in with the culture. We're here to transform it. And that's why Peter reminds them of their true identity. And listen to how he refers to them. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, But you are a royal priesthood. Now, Peter's first readers, they would have understood that image right away. 
Because they would have known that in the Old Testament time, the priests were those among the people who represented God. They were God's representatives to the people. And within Israel, there was a certain class or group of people set aside as priests, and they were the representatives uh, to the people for God. And so they offered the sacrifices, they led in worship, they taught about God's Word. And now what Peter is saying is, in this New Testament age, this age of Jesus, now all of us who are His followers are priests. We are His royal priesthood to the world. It's our job now to represent Him to the rest of the world, to be His ambassadors throughout the earth. That's why we're here. That's our calling. And He says that when we are His ambassadors, this is what we will do. We are here to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We're here to shine light in the midst of the darkness. We're not here to hide in the darkness or to blend in with the darkness. We're here to shine our light in the midst of the darkness. That's our purpose. We are to invade the darkness that exists in this world with the light of Jesus. That's our calling. And one way that Peter says in his letter that we do that, shine our light in the midst of the darkness, is by treating other people differently by treating people differently than the world treats people. Listen to what Peter goes on to say, verses 16 and 17. Live as servants of God, show proper respect to everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. Now, that word respect that Peter uses is a Greek word, tamaho, and it literally means to honor or to give value to. So what Peter here is literally saying is you are to honor everyone. You are to find value, recognize the value of everyone. See value in everyone. Let that soak in. And he uses the word everyone for a reason. And this Greek word everyone, it has a really interesting and intriguing meaning as well. This Greek word everyone literally means, get this, everyone. That's what it means, literally, everyone. All people, everyone, everybody, okay? I don't know how else to say it, everyone, okay? Peter says, show proper respect, honor, find value, recognize the value of everyone. And when I hear passages like that, <laughs> I get a little nervous because those passages make us feel uncomfortable because that's really, really hard. But I want you to remember who Peter's writing to. He is not writing to a bunch of Christians who are having a controversy right now with their HOA because, you know, some neighborhood restrictions or something. He's not writing to Christians who are just having a falling out with a coworker because somebody stole credit for a job they did or something. He's not writing to Christians who are parents who have a kid on a ball team and they're mad at the coach because the coach isn't playing their kid enough or whatever. He's writing to Christians who are suffering persecution, who are being tortured, thrown in prison, even killed or having their family members killed. That's who he's writing to, and he says... Find value, recognize the value of all people. What? I'm sure that when Peter's first readers heard that, they were probably thinking to themselves, 
Okay, but there's got to be exceptions, right? I mean, we get it. Yeah, Jesus loves all people. Yeah, we get it. But there's got to be exceptions to this. There's some people that are just hard to love, Peter. Come on. There's got to be exceptions. Like, take, for example, Emperor Nero. I mean, he's the one who's ordered this persecution. He's an evil, wicked man. He's an immortal man. And he's ordering for us to suffer and be persecuted. I mean, we've got to be exempt from, like, showing respect and honoring, finding value in Nero's life, Right? And then Peter goes on to say this. Let's finish the rest of the verse. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, the church. Fear God. And look at this last line. Honor the emperor. It's as if Peter anticipated them saying, there's got to be some people that we don't have to love. And he spells it out. Even the emperor, even Nero, as evil and wicked as he is, show proper respect to him. Recognize the value of his life. Know that he is still one created in the image of God who needs Jesus Christ. Now that's a tough pill to swallow. And I'm sure some of those Christians hearing those words are like, I don't know if I can do that. And again, if I'm being transparent, when I read passages like this, I kind of wish these passages weren't in the Bible, you know? They are, and they're in there for a reason. It's a good reason. God knows what he's talking about. But personally, the human side of me says, I wish those passages weren't in there. Because honestly, I don't want to do it. And when we don't want to do something, well, we oftentimes find ways not to do it or to make excuses for why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Our staff wives here at First Church, our minister's wives, they get together about once a month and they hang out, encourage one another, pray for one another. And that's been really good for my wife, Allison. She loves meeting with our staff wives. And so uh, this past month, they were going to meet and they were going to go out to eat and they were going to honor one of the wives of our staff members because she was... um, she was going to graduate with a new degree, and so they wanted to recognize her, throw her a surprise party. So they didn't want her to know about it, but they wanted to make sure she would come, because everybody doesn't come every time. So they wanted to make sure she would be there. Now, this staff wife is Christy Fallis, who's Jake Fallis. He's our uh, care minister here. And so one of our other staff members was given the assignment to tell Jake to make sure that his wife showed up. And so he decided to do this through a text message. And later, this text message was shared with me, and so I thought I would share it with you. So this is how this conversation went. This one staff member, not going to mention his name, but he texts Jake Follis, and he says, Christy needs to be at Mad Eats May 11th. Don't say anything to her about it, but make sure she's there for the ladies' thing. (laughs) And so Jake responds, wait, what do you mean? Like, does she know there's a ladies' thing that night? I don't know. I was forced to text you under duress. I don't understand, Jake says. What exactly am I telling her and not telling her? She should know there's a thing and where it is. There's a party for her that she's not to know about. Just make sure she goes to it. Jake says, oh, great. So I need to highly encourage her to go without her realizing it to Mad Eats. Yeah, this is going to work. LOL, I just passed it along. Just strongly encourage her to go hang with her lady friends. Next slide. And so then, (laughs) Jake sends the eye-rolling emoji. That's what that is. It's a still shot. And then the other staff member says, just do it. Okay, so next slide. 
okay, I'm going, this is Jake, okay, I'm going to literally say, I highly encourage you to go to Mad Eats on, on the 11th. Is that what they want from me? If you give it away and it comes back to me, I will burn down your office. Well, get the matches ready because this guy stinks at surprises. I feel like I shouldn't have to spell this out. Ask her if she's going. Then if she says yes, your stupid job is done. <laughs> if she says no, you say you should go. Your friends will be there. You guys haven't done anything in a while. I'll watch Taylor and be useful. <laughs> that doesn't sound like something I would ever say. <laughs> and then I love this. I hate you, figure it out. By the way, Christy did show up, okay? She made it, all right? <laughs> Anybody thinks our staff is perfect, we are not, okay? Just want to let you know right now. Get that out there. But Jake obviously didn't want to do it. Made him uncomfortable, but it was a good thing he needed to do it. And that's why it is with us when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to treating people better than they deserve to be treated. We do this for a reason, because God has good purposes for our lives and for this world and for the lives of those people who are hard to love. And God is saying, listen to me, I know it's best. You don't want to miss out on this. Do it. It may seem hard, it may seem difficult, but it will be worth it. And Peter gives us two primary reasons why we should treat people better than they deserve to be treated. And the first reason is this, we treat people better than they deserve to be treated because that's what God has done for us. See, when I process everything that God has done for me, it helps me love people who are hard to love. Because here's the thing, I have rebelled against God too many times to count. I have disobeyed God, I've ignored Him when I should have been listening to Him, I've disappointed Him time and time and time again, and yet, God has continued to love me. And I don't deserve His love, but He continues to pour it out on me. So every time that I encounter somebody who's difficult to love, who's hard to love, I just remember Jesus didn't come to me when I was at my best, but when I was at my worst. And here's the thing. Peter tells us that we're to show the same type of undeserved love to other people. Listen to what Peter says. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. One reason why we love others when they don't deserve it it's because God has loved us when we don't deserve it. And when we process everything that God has done for us, if he can love us, surely we can love those around us. And when we do love people when they don't deserve it, that type of love stands out because that's not of this world. And we end up changing people's lives. And that's the next reason why we should be a people who are loving people who don't deserve it. See, we treat people better than they deserve to be treated because that kind of love transforms people's lives. Now, I just want to let you know something. Believe it or not, it is possible to love someone and disagree with them at the same time. It really is. Our culture doesn't teach this. Our culture, I don't think, believes this anymore when you see what's going on around us. But guys, it is possible to love someone and disagree with them at the same time. You know how I know this? 
because that's what God did for us. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Romans. For God demonstrates his own love for us, you and me, in this. While we were sinners, rebelling against him, ignoring him, doing our own thing, disappointing him, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It is possible to love someone and disagree with them at the same time. So, remember that the next time you get ready to write that Facebook post or send that email or text message out. What you think is creative and slick and passive-aggressive, will it turn somebody away from ever knowing the God who you claim to serve? Before you pick a fight, before you respond because you want to try to be clever, what will your response say about your God? We treat people better than they deserve to be treated because that kind of love transforms people's lives. Like I said, that's the second reason Peter gives us. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds instead and glorify God on the day he visits us. Continue to do good to all people, live such good lives among the pagans that even though they may not get it, even though they may continue to falsely accuse you, accuse you of doing wrong, continue to do good so that eventually they may just end up glorifying God because of how you represented him on this earth. You see, when we show people love that they don't deserve, when we show people grace that they don't deserve, kindness that they don't deserve, we give them something outside this world. We invade the earth with the joy of heaven. And that's why we say over and over and over again here at First Church, we believe that the church exists to unleash the joy of heaven on the sadness of earth. That's why we're here. We believe God has placed the church here to make the world better. And sometimes churches preach things like, well, the world is just getting worse and worse and worse, and we're just supposed to hang on until we die or Jesus comes back. Well, I do think we are to hang on and wait for him. Don't get me wrong. But I think while we're here, we have a purpose. We're not here just to say, oh, well, the world's getting worse. That's how it's always going to be. No, we're here to make the world better for the sake of Jesus. We're here to invade the sadness of earth with the joy of heaven. And that means every time I walk into Walmart, I need to walk in with the mindset, I'm here to unleash joy, the joy of Jesus. That means starting from the parking lot, <laughs> when I get my cart, when I walk past Walmart and there's a, I mean, I walk past McDonald's, there's a big line there, so I got to go around them. When I interact with people who are standing in my way and taking forever to get their whatever, their rice, and I can't get mine or whatever. When somebody says something smart aleck to me, when I go see the cashier, when I'm checking out and leaving, when they want to check my receipt and think that I've stole something or whatever, you know, I am there to unleash joy. When you're driving down the highway, when you're at your place of work, when you're on the ball field, when you're in your neighborhood, wherever you are, you're there to unleash the joy of heaven. And Peter practically shows us what this looks like. Look at what he goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you, by the way, go back to the Greek again, that means all of you. Okay. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't you love this? 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. Don't gossip, don't talk about people, don't be negative, and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. See, what Peter is trying to get us to understand is don't respond as the world responds. Don't respond as the culture typically responds. When the world is insulted, it throws insults right back. Don't do that, Peter says. Peter says when you're insulted, respond with a blessing. Respond in such a way that you make people stop and think and say, what's up with this guy? Why is he, why is she not returning insult for insult? That's what everybody else does. What's up with this person? We are to respond differently because when we encounter someone who's hard to love, guys, that's our time as followers of Jesus to shine. It's our time to invade the darkness with light. Listen to what Jesus, our Lord, says in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. There it is again. Don't return insult for insult, but with blessing. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. If you really want to be known as a child of God, this is what it takes. It takes being someone who responds differently, being someone who responds to our enemies as God has treated us. You see, what Jesus here is getting at is that our enemies should bring the best out of us. Let me ask, is that the case for you? Do your so-called enemies bring the best out of you or do your enemies bring the worst out of you? You've probably heard the name Winston Churchill before. He's prime minister of England for for years and during World War II and all that. But he was a politician during the first part of the 20th century. And also another well-known politician um, was, uh, was Lady Nancy Ator. And these two didn't get along. They uh, argued constantly, fought back and forth, you know. And so they were political rivals at times. And at one point, Lady Ator said about Winston Churchill, she said, this is going to legend, she said, um, if that man, Winston Churchill, were my husband, I'd poison his tea. And according to legend, Churchill responded, if I was married to that woman, I'd gladly drink it. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's historically true or not, but according to legend, that little exchange happened. But it's believable, isn't it? Because our enemies have a tendency to bring the worst out of us. And what about you? See, the Bible says in Romans 2, verse 4, that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God continues to show us kindness even when we rebel against Him, even when we don't show love to Him, because He knows His kindness will eventually lead people to repentance. And we are here to do just that. We are here to be kind even when the world isn't kind to us. And when we do that, it doesn't go unnoticed. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. We're here to be instruments of peace, God's 
peace. Jesus hits on this in Matthew 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, because there is a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. See, a peacekeeper on a social level, a peacekeeper on a relational level is somebody who, well, wants to avoid conflict and stay away from it. You know, you've heard people say, I'm not going to say anything because I just want to keep the peace. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker engages conflict in order to transform it for God's purposes. And that's what we're called to do. We're not to shy away from conflict. We're supposed to engage it in order to transform it for God's purposes. See, this biblical idea of peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means to have your world in the right order. So when Jesus talks about being a peacemaker, what he's saying is you're supposed to step into the chaos of this world in order to set it right according to God's purposes, to bring God's order into the midst of the chaos. That's why we're here. And let me just tell you something. It takes a stronger person to be patient and kind with people than someone who just is a loud voice and says whatever they think in the moment. You see, public shaming, ridicule, insults, passive-aggressive posts on Facebook, those things will never lead anyone to repentance. But the kindness of God will. The loudest in the room isn't always the one who's right. Often the loudest person in the room is the one who's the most insecure. And I know that from experience. When I was in Bible college, Johnson Bible College, my freshman year, I was in the cafeteria one day, and we were having a little theological debate. That's what you do in Bible college, you know, <laughs> having a little theological debate in the cafeteria. And this one girl sitting at our table, she was wrong. I mean, she was just dead wrong. And I knew it, and a lot of people at the table knew it, so I engaged her in debate, an argument, basically. And I was winning the argument, and as we kept going and we went back and forth, sides were formed, and her friends were on her side, and I had people on my side, and we were going back and forth, and I just kept winning. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I just kept winning this debate, winning this argument, and I was just letting her have it, and I was, I was more concerned about looking good and winning the argument than I was about her, and I just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And eventually, I made my closing argument, so to say, and I blew her out of the water. Like, she didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to respond. And she got up and left the table crying. And I felt horrible. Later, I went and I found her. And I apologized. And I said, I still believe what I said back there, but I didn't speak the truth in love. I didn't have a very Christ-like attitude, and I'm sorry for that. And if you ever want to have this conversation again, next time, I'll act like Jesus. And she looked at me, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Chad, as we were debating, I started to believe that what you were saying was right and I was wrong. I was realizing that. But I refused to give in because I was so mad at you. See, that little clever Facebook meme that you share, or that post you put up, or that little snide remark that you make to somebody, you may think, hey, I really got them. And you might even be right. But my question is, will that comment, will that post, will that whatever eventually lead somebody to Jesus? Because if it ends up putting a wall between you and Jesus, uh, between them and Jesus, it's not worth it. See, being a peacemaker isn't being a doormat but it's being somebody who's willing to engage conflict in such a way that it points people to Jesus. Because let me let you in on a little secret. 
you're not right all the time. And neither am I. But God is. And the point is not to lift yourself up. The point is to point people to the one who is right so that he can change their lives. Some of you guys know my grandpa, my mom's dad, Dudley Tapp, passed away this week. He died this week. And it's been a hard week for my family. And I love my grandpa. I've talked about him a lot in sermons. He's honestly one of my true heroes. I've always wanted to be like him. And he wasn't a very influential man in the eyes of the world, but man, he made an impact on his community, his small town. He was an elder in his church for years. And the funny thing, or the interesting thing about my grandpa is that he was liked by everybody. I don't say that just because he was my grandpa. He was. He was liked by everybody. And he lived in the same town his entire life. Everybody knew him. They knew him from the time he was a kid, teenager, whatever. Everybody knew him. And he was liked by everybody. There were people who disagreed with him politically on the opposite, aisle, uh, opposite side of the political aisle, and yet they still respected my grandpa and thought he was a good man. There were people who lived by different, a different moral standard than him, and yet they still respected my grandpa and thought he was a good man. And even the church that he served as an elder for years, years ago, there was a split off of that church because some people didn't like the preacher at the time and whatever, and so they end up splitting. And at his funeral the other day, People from the split of the church came back to pay respect to my grandpa because even though they disagreed with whatever they disagreed with during the church split, they still respected my grandpa because they knew he was a good man. And here's the thing. The reason why that was the case is because my grandpa loved everybody. I didn't get to go to his funeral physically. I had to watch online, but I did record something because he wanted me to do the service, and I recorded part of the service, and in my recording I said, anytime you were around my grandpa, he was present. You were the most important person in the world to him. And that was true for family, that was true for friends, that was true for a stranger on the street. Anybody he was having conversation with, you were the most important person in the world. You felt valued. And because of that, even people who adamantly disagreed with him at times still thought he was a good man. I think in our culture today, we need more people like him, and that's why my grandpa is one of my heroes. And I think that's what Peter is talking about when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let me ask you, what are you doing right now to bring the joy of heaven into the sadness of earth? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we will be a people who go out and seek peace and pursue it, who are the peacemakers, who bring your order into the midst of this chaotic world. That's what we're called to do, to be light in the midst of the darkness. So Father, may we do that tomorrow at work. May we do that in our homes. May we do that in our neighborhoods. May we do that as we leave the parking lot today. Father, may we be instruments of your peace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.